Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 53 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Some of my very favorite conversations with parents are when I get to talk to both parents at the same time and hear both of their grief journeys. That is definitely the case today when I get to talk with Dave and Sue Brannon. Dave and Sue lost their daughter Melissa 18 years ago in a tragic car accident. I love hearing both of them discuss stories of their daughter and who she was as a person. Dave says that before that day, 18 years ago, life was really good for them. They had four kids. They were all strong Christians. He had a great job. They had a wonderful family. And then suddenly, life wasn't wonderful at all. Tragedy struck when they were least expecting it. Sue says that after that day, Dave would have to remind her that God was the same God before Melissa died as he was after Melissa died. He would say that out loud almost daily. She said that it was to remind her, but I wonder if it was to remind himself of that fact just as much as it was to remind Sue. Some years after Melissa's death, Dave wrote the book, Beyond the Valley. The 10th anniversary edition is actually being released in just a few weeks with a new epilogue that was written by Dave. The book not only discusses losing a child, it discusses loss in general. So I really think it is timely for everyone in 2020, as we are really all experiencing different types of loss right now. I hope you enjoy listening to Sue and Dave, Melissa's mom and dad. Welcome to the show. I have mom and dad again on today, and I love doing that because I love getting mom and dad's reaction. So I have Melissa's mom and dad today, and why don't you start out just by telling us about your daughter, Melissa. Well, I would like to just start by first just saying thank you for having us on your program because it's so encouraging to be with other people who understand how we feel. So I'd like Mm -hmm. to share with you about our daughter, Melissa Ruth Brannon. And um, she was just a beautiful little girl, just a beautiful little baby, great big blue eyes, long, long eyelashes. Eyelashes. She was noted for her eyelashes. Yes, (laughs) yes. People would say, how did she get such long eyelashes? But she was just a precious little child, baby. And she was so shy. And so I always felt like I kind of had to protect her a little Mm. bit because she was so shy. Everything was a little extra hard for Melissa because she was so shy. She just, 
She just would hide behind us everywhere we would go. If there was somebody crying in the nursery, we knew it was probably her because <laughs> <laughs> oh. recognized her, right. her cry. But, um, but we were trying to socialize her, of course, in Sunday school and stuff. But she's just really, really shy little girl. She was at the very, you know, very young age, she was shy. And uh, at church, she was noted for being shy. You know, it wasn't something that uh, we made up, but everybody knew the shy little girl. And she had two older sisters who weren't shy at all. So here mm -hmm. came Melissa, who was um, very different from her sisters in that regard. Um, even when she was a little older, toward four, four and five, starting to go get ready to go to school, um, we noticed too that it was very difficult for her to be in that kind of environment uh, at, mm -hmm. at that young age because she was so very shy. So we had not at home as much though. Right. But no, so she didn't go to kindergarten right. when she was five. She went at six and that seemed to um, be just a perfect out. age yeah. for her. Then she started developing some social skills and yeah. friends and just one, one story that shows that she came out of it was when she was, I think, fourth grade or something like that. She was on the bus going to school and a new girl sat down by her and on the bus and Melissa started the conversation, which which always surprised me when I found that out. She started the conversation and she started talking to her. I think the girl had drumsticks with her or something. And she said, oh, do you play the drums? And ended up being her best friend, one of her best friends all through high school. And oh, wow. We started the conversation, you know, so she was coming out of it. And by the time she got to be in high school, it wasn't an issue anymore yeah. because she was a little, a tiny bit on the shy. We knew she was on the shy side. But she just was a light at school. She made sure mm -hmm. when she was in high school that everybody else was included. And she had a couple of special friends that were her friends and friends of everybody else because of Melissa. She made, she made sure they got in and didn't get on the, weren't, weren't able to stay on the fringes because Melissa brought them in. And maybe, maybe it's just because of her personality, knowing that yeah. if she would have stayed that way, those kids, if they would have stayed that way, those kids wouldn't have been brought into having many friends. So she made sure that uh, they were introduced to her friends. And, um, and even one of the best friends on the day she died was, was one of those girls um, that, mm -hmm. that she had brought in to, to be, you know, a friend of other people too. And yeah. Melissa didn't want anybody to have a bad day at school. So she would joke with them or call them a name or whatever, you know, whatever you do in high school to make everybody feel good. She liked to make everybody feel right. good. Try to feel included. Yeah. So we really are kind of a sports family. My husband played college basketball and so sports is big. So our kids all played sports. So Melissa was in, in sports, mm -hmm. um, based, uh, softball. softball and basketball right. and volleyball. And she was on an AAU team and, in volleyball. Um, yeah. in she, volleyball. she really liked volleyball the best. She, I wanted, I was a big baseball person too. So I liked the base, the softball, baseball thing, but uh, she loved volleyball. She didn't like wearing knee pads on volleyball. That was always the point of contention because you, you know, to be good, you had to wear knee pads because you're going to go on the go on the floor, but she didn't like to wear them. And so <laughs> that was kind of a, a thing. We'd get her good knee pads and where are your knee pads? Uh, I don't know. They're my bag. I've been, you know, but she loved playing volleyball and, and softball. She loved softball, but she loved being there with her friends more. And that's probably uh. why she played softball so much <laughs> was because she could be with her buddies. 
and they could do silly things together. Yeah. Another thing is our family was very involved with a, a radio program called Children's Bible Hour. Now it's called Keys for Kids, but during those years, it's a program that has mm -hmm. a bunch of singing, Christian songs, kids songs, and then there would be a story at the end. Uncle Charlie Vandermeer was in charge of Children's Bible it's, Hour. It's a local program, but it was nationally broadcast. Oh, right. Okay. So every, every, and so every week, our kids, or as they graduated, and Melissa was um, at that age, she started in, in the second grade on the program. That was a very big thing in her life, because every week she went on practice on Wednesdays, and then on Saturday they had tapings, and she was part of a little trio that sang, and then every summer they went on tour to different states, and they would take the program with them, and, and the goal of the program was to tell other people about Jesus Christ, and mm -hmm. um, so that was a very big thing in our lives. We were involved in stories, but... To, to see her, though, up front of, in front of people, because knowing how shy she was, we were, we were shocked that she could stand up in front of two or three, four hundred people and sing her mm -hmm. heart out and not even care, and then eventually she got in the part of a, a trio, but to be part of a trio, the Sam trio, which was Sunite, Ashley, and Melissa, Sam. <laughs> that was very cool to see her, you know, up front singing with two other girls and then being on the radio singing. And um, it was pretty impressive that she was able to, to come that far, you know? And in her, yeah. in her heart, it's it was really important in her heart that she wanted other people to know about Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And personally, you know, and I remember one time she went on tour and then she came home and she said, you know, she had an opportunity to sit with somebody and talk to him about Jesus. And that was a very important thing in her life. And we mm -hmm. have, of course, all of us as bereaved parents, um, we, we seek every little thing that we have, you know, and we have a tape of Melissa on the, on the children's Bible program talking about when she accepted Jesus Christ as her personal savior. And of course we cheered oh, that. That's beautiful to have on tape. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, it's just a blessing. And also that we, on occasion, on a holiday, when all of us are together and our grandkids will play that so they can hear aunt Melissa and hear oh. about her accepting Jesus and hear her voice mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. one of our grandkids will even say, I really miss aunt <laughs> Melissa. They've never, so, they've never met Aunt Melissa. Yeah, no, but it means a lot. Yeah, it means a lot to us. So, yeah. and she shares uh, Sue's middle name, Ruth, and then one of our grandkids has the same middle name yeah. as Ruth. So, that's mm -hmm. pretty special just to have that the line going down through the family. Too. Another thing about Melissa is she just loved holidays and birthdays, and she just loved decorating, and it was so special toward she was wanting to know what relatives were going to come over and celebrate with us that was really really important in her life to do that yeah and at christmas mm -hmm. she would she would shake every gift that had her name on it <laughs> and she would try to guess what it was and pretty much always she knew what it was so you couldn't oh. you couldn't get any past because <laughs> she, she'd go um uh, let's see that's a sweater you know or whatever so it's pretty funny that she could do that. Another thing that she really liked to do is little, when she was younger, she liked to make like little concoctions in the kitchen. And you never knew what she was going to put together and what she was going to make. And so it was, we always then you laughed. Had to eat it. Because it was, looked so, you know. sometimes it looked so awful. But as she got older and was in high school 
she started making treats for her friends. And so she would get puppy chow or she would make cupcakes or she'd make cookies and she would take them all to her friends. So that was something that was special mm -hmm. to her friends because that made them happy. And she was happy just kind of serving her friends. So that was a yeah. fun thing for her. And one of her friends actually has done a cookbook and she kind of partially credits Melissa for helping her get started because oh, she that's started so sweet. making concoctions when she came to our house. And then Melissa would bring the puppy chow to school and she thought that was great. Now she's a cook and she's got her own cookbook. And, and you oh, mentioned wow. Melissa in the foreword because of that. And another one of her friends after Melissa died brought some cupcakes all with little encouraging messages on each particular cupcake. And it was because Melissa used to do the cupcakes at school. And so she ministered to us with mm -hmm. all these special little cupcakes with all these little special messages for us to yeah. encourage us. So that was really cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's who Melissa was. <laughs> and so oh, was I love hearing about her and learning about what a great kid she was. She was. And she just had a smile on her face. And the one moment that I think she was that almost the happiest I'd seen her. And, and it was cool because it's kind of a family thing. We decided when she was 16 to get her a car, but we did, couldn't go out and get her a you know, Corvette or anything. So we were having a, 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 an auction at school and there was a, an old Beretta sitting there that they were gonna auction away. So I'd never been in an auction or anything, but I decided I'm gonna go for it. And I set a limit and uh, of $2,000, I'm gonna pay 2,000 for this car for Melissa. And so I went to the auction, ended up on the odd number. So I had like 1,700. Then somebody else said 18. And then they went to 19. And the other person said 2,000. And I thought, oh, that's my limit. I said, I'm going to go one more time. So I went to 2,300 yeah. and he bowed out. And so I got the car. So you both went with the same limit, apparently. I, huh. yeah. <laughs> she was so She was so excited. Happy. I, I, her, so said, I got the car for you. And uh, that was the car she drove to school. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. on her last day yeah yeah so. why don't we go ahead and talk about that talk about what happened okay. to melissa do you want to start well it was on a thursday and i was at work and melissa called me and told me that she was going to go out to the beach with her her friends it was the last day of her junior year yeah school. her last year okay. of her junior and so i tests. said okay when are you going to be home and and just give me a call so I know exactly what's going on. They were all kids from a Christian school that she, Melissa went to and just great kids. And so she, they took a couple cars out to the beach and it was a beautiful, beautiful day. She left she her car at school and she went out with Tara, one of the girls that she had brought into, you know, mm -hmm. friendship group. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they went to Grand Haven, mm -hmm. um, you know, our, our famous beach in West Michigan. Yes. Beautiful beach and uh started working on their tans <laughs> mm -hmm. for the summer it was a beautiful day it was sunny and bright and warm which is sometimes unusual in june early june and so they the girls just the girls went to the beach so then mm -hmm. later you can tell what they did next so then later they went to a cottage of one of the parents that they own the cottage there and some of the boyfriends came and some other some other just friends. Yeah. They had a bunch of friends. That's a good came. Christian yeah. kids. And the parents served them food, but Melissa and they ate and just had a good time. And then went jet skiing, which she was crazy about. Yeah. Just had a great day. And then 
Um, she knew she had to go to work the next day, so she wanted to leave early. So her boyfriend was going to give her a ride home. All right. So she called early in the evening and said, "We're we're going to be on our way home." Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So we knew we knew when she was on her way home, and uh, so mm-hmm. we were. Uh, Lisa, our oldest daughter, wasn't here. She was living in Ohio, but our second daughter had just graduated from college a week before. So she was home with us, and our son Steve was there, and we were there, and uh, so we just kind of, you know, chilling the night away. And we, I didn't want to go to bed right until so I knew home. she was home. Right. So mm-hmm. we were Steve and I were going to watch a hockey game, and uh, I think Sue and Julie were reading the paper or something, and uh, so we got a call from one of her friends, and she said, well, "We think Melissa might have been in a car accident." And me, being an eternal optimist, said, "Well, yeah, fender bender, no biggie." And, um, yeah. And of course I'm a fatalist. So Su- I was the scared worst. right away that something bad's happened. I right. mean, why did her friend call us like this? And so we started, I started calling back soon to try to talk to her friends and got in touch with one of her friends. And, um, as she was talking to me, uh, she screamed. And then she handed the phone to another, up to one of the parents that were there. And the parents right. said to Dave, I am so sorry. And Dave said, is she gone? She said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And the police will be at your house in so, a little while. And so she wouldn't say that Melissa had died. And so, so we knew. Yeah, yeah, but we knew. And, and so it was. So had they just come upon the site? Is that what had happened? Why they, they why it was suddenly that screaming from their place? And so the dad at the house uh, had gone up to see what happened. And he had just come back from the accident scene when uh, I was talking to Melissa's friend. And that's when the, the lady of the house uh, got on the phone and said that. So they, they knew what, what was going on. And actually, one of her friends was arriving late at the party. And she went by the accident scene. And she uh-huh. didn't know it was Melissa and Jordan, the boyfriend. So... Um, you know, she was quite traumatized later, knowing that she had seen the accident. Her boyfriend was um, airlifted to the hospital, and um, he ended up being uh, fine physically. He didn't play soccer that that fall, uh, uh-huh. but it was just a, it was a simple driving error that sixteen-year-olds make. You know, yeah. and another teenager was coming from a different high from a different highway, so it was mistakes on all ends. Yeah, but mm-hmm. our daughter was the one who was in the passenger side who was killed right so she was killed instantly yeah so that started the, you know the rest of our life and um yeah and so then yeah you have your life before that moment and then your life you, afterwards right yeah and it's also different right but uh then immediately people started coming over that night to our house um Mm-hmm. from church especially our Sunday school class people one of the pastors came immediately and stayed with us um for hours that night to mm-hmm. help us out so uh yeah and family and family came to to help out and that's the one thing that was so helpful we had so mm-hmm. many people who cared who surrounded us yeah. hundreds who, of cars took care hundreds of Oh, People yeah. just surrounded us. Mailman would probably get a little upset with us because <laughs> there's so much mail coming in, mm-hmm. you know, every day. You know, then and people but, started but, contacting us who had lost children, right? And um, wanting to minister, and I needed every single one of them. 
the, tra- yeah. the trauma of the next few days, as you well know, is just You're horrific. Shock. You're in shock and you have to go to the funeral home. You know, the last place in the world you expect to go. And make and all these, make these decisions. decisions that you never had to. I, I know. I was... I remember saying and asking, well, what funeral home do you want to go to? Mm-hmm. I'm like, um, I don't, I have no idea. Right. So the, those are things that our pastor was helpful with, mm-hmm. right. For him to be able to say, well, these are two that I feel like do a really good job. And, mm-hmm. um, so then you just pick one of them and, um, because you can't, you can't, make those decisions because no. it just seems so crazy right and that's important what your pastor did and and one of our pastors did the same thing he i said to him she said i don't know what to do yeah i, I don't know what we're supposed to do next and so he walked me through what we had to do yeah um, and i wasn't functional so he had to right. do everything <clears throat> make every decision that's where those those pastors who know what they're doing are so helpful you know yeah yours did and ours did too and, uh, yeah, we had that. And then um, we have, you know, I'm a pediatrician. And so we had a complex care coordinator that helped with so many of our really complex kids, a lot of whom will die. And so it's funny because our pastor gave us two names and then she called me and she said, have you asked if we had decided on a funeral home? And I said, well, I have a couple of names. And I gave her those two names. And she said, well, I know this one has handled some of our kids in the past, our patients in the past. And so then that's why we ended up settling on that one because we knew, you know, they had done kids, but, you know. You don't even know what you're getting. You don't, you don't really know what what to do. Yeah. And you have to find, like, even a... a um burial spot and things like that. Right. Never and that I relied, I know, but I personally relied on the funeral home then because he gave us like three or four choices. And then he said, Cascade Township Cemetery is really nice. Um, uh, they'll, they'll meet us out there if we want to go out there, like almost now. I mean, they almost did it right away. Someone from the township went and met us there and it seemed like a nice spot because you're just like, okay. I mean, I, you just have to trust other people at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cause it's something it's you've not, never, I've never thought of before. Never. It's not never the very last thing you'd ever think about for your kid. Yeah. You know, yeah. And having those people in your life who can help. And that's why the church is so important because the church should be ready to, to help in those situations, you know, and I can't imagine if you don't have a family like that outside of mm-hmm. your own, who you turn to, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, so we, and we also had uh, tremendous outgoing out point of support um, from Melissa's funeral and visitation. I mean, we, we stood in line for, as the waiting line went through for 10 straight hours. Oh, wow. I mean, it was supposed to be like two to four, seven to nine kind of thing. We were there from and it went straight through two to midnight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it just yeah, we just stayed there and people just kept coming, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you, did you find that comforting or did you find it overwhelming? What did how did you find that? I found it encouraging because people cared. Mm-hmm. You know, that's to me that was what it was. How'd you feel? I I did too, except yeah. for it was just all overwhelming. It was just yeah, just in such shock is just overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. I I know our funeral home said he he wanted to limit us limit us 
a little bit, right? Because he thought you're going to be overwhelmed. He'd had another kid relatively recently and it had just, you know, the line just goes on forever. And so he was trying to really help us and protect us and limit the hours. I can't, I can't remember. I think we had it like four hours or something. So we're not feeling overwhelmed. But overall, that day, I felt like every hug I got gave me a little strength. Mm-hmm. Right? right? So I think he was worried it would just be overwhelming and I just want to fall in a heap and it would be terrible. And for some people that might be the case, but I honestly felt like every hug I got gave me just a little bit of strength to try to go. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. And that was yeah. to me helpful. I know it's not that way to everyone, but to me, I probably could have done 10 hours, like you said, because I certainly had people that saw that said later they saw the line, it was so long they left, or other people that tried to come to the funeral and the funeral. We they left the church doors open so that people could stand outside and be able to listen from outside because they just couldn't fit everyone in. And but I had other people say there were too many people, so I just went to my own church and prayed during the time of the funeral. But the people for me, it wasn't overwhelming. It just I just felt loved and supported. Right, and and it's just a, it's a bit energizing in a terrible situation. Yes, and, and because and I think about this now for people who are going through this at the early stages, and I know that two days later it's going to be a crash because right, you know, you it's kind of a little bit of a encouragement to see all the people who care and they're there. Yeah, and then at the funeral again. And you hear all these nice words about your daughter and everybody cares. And then the next day, everybody goes back to work. Yep. And, and it disappears. Not that, they, not that they don't care anymore, but you're, you know, for, for two days, you're at top of everybody's list and everybody cares deeply and they show it mm-hmm. on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they're caring deeply, but they're on with their lives mm-hmm. and you're stuck with grief. So it, and yours changes forever. Yeah, Your life doesn't right. go back. It's, never it's not like you go back on Monday and everything's pretty much the same. No. And, and that's, we had that, that saying said, not mostly to our, our friend, somebody said, she'll be over it in six months when she lost her daughter. And that's just a horrible thing to say. Oh, yeah. You never get over it. You don't know over it and you never get over yes. it. <laughs> you, you, yeah. You don't want to, cause you don't want anybody to forget your child. Right. And you don't get over it because it still hurts and you still cry 18 years later. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what did you do to try to get through those first days, weeks, months? Well, I would say I didn't handle life very well after that. I mm-hmm. um, I couldn't go back to work. I remember being with a bunch of women who had all lost children. We were sitting at a table and I was on leave of absence and um, they said, well, how, how are you gonna go back to work? You know, when are you gonna go back? I said like, I don't know if I can go back. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I worked at a nursing home in a nursing facility as a charge nurse. And Melissa worked on week on my weekend the weekends that I worked and she worked in the kitchen. So we had a lot of interaction. She'd bring the trays to the patients in the healthcare area where I worked and, and would serve them. And so I got to be with her and, mm-hmm. um, and 
so many people would say all these little sweet things about Melissa. Oh, she's so kind. She's so sweet. So Melissa's gone. And I just never ended up being able to go back yeah. to that work. Mm -hmm. And so we still had a son at home. He was a freshman who was struggling like crazy because his best friend, Melissa, was had was gone. And and so I I didn't work for probably a year and a half. And finally, I looked for something other than what I had done. I knew I couldn't go back there. So then I um, found this job and they just walked me through it. So I take care of special needs children who many times they could die at any time. They get mm -hmm. illnesses, they're in the hospital, as you know, as a pediatrician, and they have all this special equipment, the vents, the trachs, and many times they're at death's door. And so I feel like I'm ministering to these parents because I've already lost a child. I know the suffering and they have the ones that I've been working with, their children <clears throat> on occasion have been in the hospital and they thought it was going to be the end. You did lose one. Yeah. So it kind of, they kind of ministered to me because I'm, we're both struggling. They're struggling mm -hmm. in a different way. And so that's been a nice change for that. And also different things in my life. It's crazy. We had to change churches. We had to move. We changed just about everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Different sides I mean, it's of crazy. I changed my dentist. I changed my doctor. I mean, it was just like crazy. I just felt like all the triggers, like functioning was so difficult for different me. Different grocery stores. Everything. Yeah. It was just. Yeah. It's so funny. You, yeah. you mentioned the dentist. Mm -hmm. I, so I always took all three of my kids and I went to the dentist at the same time. There are two dental hygienists, so we went two and two. Uh, Andy and I always had our x-rays on the same time, at same six-month appointment, and the other two had their x-rays at the same time. So I went in, like, the day I had to get my x-rays, I couldn't do it. No. I could not get my x-rays done. I asked to look at Andy's last ones yeah. because I just wanted to look at him. Sure. Even if it was just an x-ray, it was just so silly, but it's not I just, I mean, I ended up like skipping a whole time of the x-rays I was supposed to. And now I'm like on the off cycle <laughs> because I just couldn't do it by myself, yeah. which it seems like such a silly thing. Like, why do you get so triggered just going to the dentist? But it was a thing. I just couldn't. It was what we did. Exactly. It was a mother son thing and i know yeah for me taking my kids to the dentist it was the same thing and i just like i could not handle going into the office again i just could not handle it so um but even even something like melissa was sue's shopping buddy she was the yeah. fashion she you know the consultant <laughs> like, <laughs> no mom you can't wear that you know and when um sh shortly before she was gone the the grandma opened i mean it was maybe three or four years before and it took a long time before sue could go back to the mall and she is a major shopper you know that's one of her recreational at things. least window shopping yeah yeah <laughs> and uh, i like lowe's you like everything else so it was really tough to even go back to the to the to the shopping center you know for yeah. a long time after that 
it's it's funny what things trigger you what you don't think will trigger you i mean going to the grocery store right you see all of their favorite foods all of the things that you would buy just for that child not for the other ones right i mean eric would my husband would sometimes he would come home from costco it wasn't you know, it was a good year after Andy died and he came home with the big muffins that were blueberry. Mm. Well, that was the one Andy liked. You know, Peter liked the apple crumb and he goes, oh, I forgot. And, mm. you know, it just brought my son Peter just brought tears to his eyes because dad bought Andy's favorite muffins. <laughs> and it wasn't that it was that, oh, you should have gotten my favorite. It's just having to look at the muffins that Andy should be eating mm-hmm. that are now just sitting there not being eaten, right? Just Absolutely. those things are walking past the yogurt that he always liked that was his favorite and not getting it anymore. It's just those little triggers that get you that you don't expect and it, it, it was concerning because you're in such grief and i was i just isolated myself and i was i just was so not able to function and i just felt badly for my other kids because we have three other kids now one was married yeah. at the time one had just graduated from college and we had steve still in high school but it was like she was the most important person yet she wasn't living anymore i mean even though she wasn't the most important we were all grieving and Mm -hmm. you know she was the one who was the focus and i just couldn't i couldn't get myself away from that (laughs) one of the kids came over the house one time and said why do you have a shrine of melissa all over the house you know because we had pictures of her everywhere you know yeah and it wasn't a shrine for melissa just because we couldn't we could not look at her, you know, have her stuff right, us. right, so right, and we, we, because you at least have that, right? The other we, ones you can still talk to and you can still see, and but you can't get anything new. I know, you know, there's there'll never be anything new for Melissa, right, always, so you have to have the old stuff. Yeah. I know that's the thing that she's always 17. Mm-hmm. All her friends have grown up, they've gotten they married, got they've got kids, and Melissa's still 17. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, yeah. And, and like you said, with asking friends to give you remembrances of her on Andy's birthday, I think it was. or, or It was on the anniversary of his death, yeah. Um, I've, I've often asked, if you have any new pictures of Melissa, yeah, please send them to me. Because <laughs> yeah. we're tired of the old ones. You know, that's, well, we're not tired no, of them, no, but, but we want everything fresh. Right. I'd like to see a new picture that I haven't seen. And actually, we saw one recently. Somebody posted it on Facebook. That was pretty cool to see it. It it is, isn't it? Yeah. And those new memories were so neat for me to just to hear anything new, mm-hmm. right? Anything that I didn't hadn't heard before yeah. because it's always the same. Yeah. yeah. We had a we had one party. At, I don't know if it was for her birthday or what, but we had several of her friends come right. in, and then we just had kind of a a Melissa talk m- about talk about time. Melissa. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody so. had to share something about Melissa. That was fun, but you you know then the kids move on. And uh, it's, it's, you yeah. can't recreate that because now they're all, you know, like she said, in the I, middle of their lives. Yeah. I would mm-hmm. say in, in, in our grief, in my grief, I, besides just having to isolate and just be by myself, and um, I read every book I could get a hold of. Every mm-hmm. grief book I needed. They had to be written by somebody who had gone through it. Yeah. I could always tell when. Yeah. I read a book it couldn't that, be by a pastor who was decided he wanted to write about grief. No. 
right. tragedy, mm-hmm. somebody who had gone through it. Right, because you could just tell the difference, but I just needed every yes. bit mm-hmm. of anything that could help me with this pain that was so unbearable. And then with different groups, people would, you know, invite me or contact me or somebody knew somebody else. And they say, you got to contact Sue Brandon because she's in, <laughs> she's in desperate state. <laughs> and, you know, and then I would be with group, different groups of people or different ladies. And, and that helped, that helped my pain. During the time that we lost Melissa, nine months before we had lost a friend, she had lost her child and we were at the funeral. Melissa Actually was on 9-11. Right. And Melissa was at the funeral and mm-hmm. we were looking at her and I just thought, oh, thank you, Lord, that she's okay. Mm-hmm. And then Melissa died in June. And then the following February, another one of Melissa's um, schoolmates died. And so, wow. so, so we have, we kind of bonded along Those three with, moms. right. Yeah. Along with others, just ministering to each other and trying to hold each other up. Um, it's it's funny you don't want to wish that on anyone mm-hmm. at all obviously but when you are all in the the depths it is such a comfort to be with someone who's experienced it and because when you get to that dark place and you tell someone who hasn't gone through it they kind of freak out sometimes for you they don't know right because when you're feeling really dark and like you're saying you know i i had times when i would say i feel like if i get in a car right now i'm going to purposely drive it off the road i did this right i've i've had that because i just am in such a sad place i just feel like Oh, I could just be with them. That would just be what I want. Well, I know if I call my family and tell them that, or I call my other friends and tell them that, they're going to feel like they need to call Pine Rest and get me admitted to inpatient, right? If I tell another fellow grieving mom that they're going to say, yeah, I understand. (laughs) I've been there. And it's not going to be as scary to them, right? because they have felt those thoughts and it's not like I do get in the car and do that, but those thoughts end up coming and I, to your head. Too, I, would, I thought myself, as much as you don't ever want to be separated from your spouse, I thought, okay, well, you know, if I'm up there with Melissa, you know, and yeah. she's down here with the rest of the kids, <laughs> you know, we're each taking care of our kids. Right. <laughs> Divide and conquer, right? right? As a mom, that's your job to yeah. take care of your kids I mean, and you can't do you, anything. You think of all these things, you know, I don't want to be separated from my husband or my other children, but you know, Melissa's not here. We got to have somebody with her. Yeah. I think another thing too is our daughter got married. One of our daughters got married. The, Melissa died in June and the following November and she decided to get married in Florida. She didn't want, Melissa's going to be stand up with her and, and that wasn't happening. And so um, we had to go down to Florida to the wedding and to leave Melissa in the cemetery. That was oh, yeah. the first time we had left her. Mm-hmm. And there she was in the cemetery all by herself in the dark. And it was just like, just so unbearable as a mother to leave her. I mean, you almost felt like you wanted somebody to go and stay in, at the cemetery <laughs> with her because it's uh-huh. your daughter, your 17 year old daughter that you're leaving. And you're going I mean, out of town. I know none of it makes sense to those who haven't lost a child. But um, that was very difficult yeah, for was. us. Yeah. So. Yeah. I have another mom that whose daughter died as an adult, but she's buried in the same cemetery as Andy. You don't know how nice that is, that when I go out of town, I know that 
she's taking care of Andy. I mean, she goes and waters his flowers and is there and it doesn't feel so bad to go away for 10 days because I know Judy's kind of watching out for Andy, you know, isn't that cool? We have, I know it is really cool. The two friends that I just told you about who, well, we became better friends, but whose kids died. Not bookend on the other side of Melissa. Their children are also buried in the same cemetery. And they're very close. I mean, they're like, we just like 20 seconds away. You can see all three kids. So we all do visit each other's too. So we went to see, you know, your John today or went to see, yeah yeah uh-huh it's funny you talked about um reading books well first of all i we <laughs> we got a lot of books when andy died everyone sent us books we have <laughs> seven or eight copies of lament for a son oh, yeah. that was a big one and i, really I enjoyed that, that one. one i really like that one right yes it's an excellent one it really is really really good the, the beautiful thing about that one is actually so andy sang for the grand rapids choir of men and boys and the fall before he died their concert series was with um Waltersdorf and he read excerpts from that book throughout the concert so the entire concert was based around that book and lament for a son and so it is it really is beautiful that I heard pieces of that you know long before Andy died Andy sang songs about that so it that is beautiful But what I wanted to go into now was that when I started seeing my therapist, she, um, we were talking about maybe reading a book to help me. And she pulled out from the shelf your book. Okay. (laughs) So uh, your book, Beyond the Valley. And I looked at that and I said, oh, wait, I'm pretty sure I have that one. Because, of course, I had so many. We had I knew it was somewhere. I hadn't. I hadn't read the majority of them. I had read "Lament for a Son" because, gosh, when some when that many people think you should read it, you better read it. Um, but your book, I had not read until my therapist said, "Yeah, this would be a good one for you. I think you should read that one." So I did go home, and sure enough, I had the book and I read through the book. It's now been a long time since I read it, and I have to say, my mind was so foggy at the time. I don't. I feel like I should probably read it again. But why don't you talk about that book and what led you to write it, and just about that a little bit? Right. Well, uh, that wasn't the book I intended to write at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to write about Melissa. I wanted to tell her story. Uh, as totally, a, as totally, the whole book. as the whole book. I wanted. To, you know, and there was a book when I used to teach school. I used to teach at North Point Christian a long time ago. And uh, there was a book called 18 No Time to Waste by Margaret Johnson. I think she has a Grand Rapids connection. And it was about her daughter who was 17 or 18 and died in a car accident. And all the kids loved that book. And I thought, this is the, I want to write a book for kids who can associate, you know, with another teenager losing her life. But the my publisher said, no, nah, no. And I, I went to my publisher, I went to Zondervan and other people, and they said, no, nah, you know what? We don't, we don't want to be you know, rude about this, but lots of people lose their kids, and it's not a book that people want to read. Which is really hurtful. Uh-huh. Yeah, that wasn't very nice. You, know, your child, <laughs> no. you think your child's the only one exactly. who's important at the time, you know? So I talked it through with my editor or my publisher, uh, Discovery House, or Our Daily Bread Publishing, where I work now, 
and we worked out a, a different kind of book, which is about loss, not necessarily mm -hmm. only about losing Melissa, but about all the kinds of losses that you can have in life. But I wanted it to be based on the Melissa story. So in the introduction, I, I tell what happened as we just talked about a few minutes ago or about the accident and how that was not my, what my life was going to be like, you know, I mean, no. everything had been going the way it should go, you know, and you know, that as being a pediatrician, you wanted to be a doctor, you became one, you had the kids and everything's going great. Mm -hmm. And I was doing exactly what I wanted to do, a great family. And then this happened. So I wanted people to, I want people to feel that one thing. I want people to feel mm -hmm. there's a lot of pain here. But then I wanted to say, in, in the kind of losses that you're going to suffer, um, God is there to help you, you know. And so it's, it's, loss, it's other losses besides death, but mostly it's about, you know, losing a child or losing somebody who's very important to you. But um, as I wrote, I, I recently just uh, did a revision of it. It's coming out in about three weeks or something like that. It's still called Beyond the Valley. It's a 10-year anniversary edition. And I wanted, I wrote an epilogue or an afterword to it because one thing that's, that I have thought through a lot was why people turn against God during mm -hmm. these difficult times. And I understand that they do, but that's the worst possible thing to do because that's where your hope is and that's where your comfort is. And the one analogy or way I look at it is that people turn, you know, families break up, husbands and wives divorce each other when they lose a child to a high mm -hmm. percentage. People turn away from God during this time. And I, and I wanted to look at it a different way. And I, I thought, you know, if, if I were to say that because my daughter died in a car accident, this whole thing doesn't work. Mm -hmm. How egocentric is that for me to say, because Melissa Brannon and the Brannon family is gone, then God's great plan for the universe from creation on through to heaven doesn't work, <laughs> you know? So I'm, it's, it's about me then. And no, it works because it works because in his plan, he gave us a plan to get us to heaven through Christ's sacrifice. Melissa had accepted that sacrifice, had trusted Christ. She is in heaven. It worked. It worked the way he designed. Now she's being well taken care of. We're have, we have the comfort of the Father here, so it works for us. And I'm not negating anybody, anybody's sorrow or pain at all because it hurts us crazy, like crazy still. But the plan of God is amazing and it works. And so that's, that's my, the kind of essence of the message I've put into the new book that, um, you know, we shouldn't let it destroy our lives. It hurts. We can't help the fact that it hurts. Lots of things hurt, but it doesn't make you destroy, make us destroy our lives. So um, that's kind of the new twist to it that I, I put in. I also put in some Our Daily Bread articles because I write for Our Daily Bread and I've written about her quite a bit. I get a lot of responses from people when I write about her because all the time new people are coming along who've lost somebody, a child especially, and they need to know that somebody has gone through it too. I would say, as Dave is saying this, that it was a, almost a daily thing that Dave had to say to me, remember, 
God is the same God before Melissa died as after she died. And he told me that probably every day for a long, long time. Cause I had to figure out why, how could this have happened? How, our, how could we not have protected our child? Mm-hmm. Did we a, do something wrong? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, she got in a car accident. I just couldn't figure out how she could be gone. And, you know, how could God have allowed that to happen and do that to our family? I mean, we're serving him and he's, <laughs> I just, I just couldn't understand it. And so Dave every day patiently would say, he's the same God before Melissa died as after. And he's made provisions for yeah. us. But the thing that mm-hmm. Sutra was struggling with the most was trust. Oh, how can I trust yes. God? Yes. After he did this to us, we prayed kind of for thing. Melissa's mm-hmm. safety. We prayed right. for her to be safe. Right, and and so that's right. Where trust is a huge thing for folks who've lost a child because now what do you like? She would say, "What if he takes another one?" Yes. You know, if you trust him, you know, is he going to test you more and go? Well, mm-hmm. it's, you know, like Job. But yeah. Uh, it's it's really a tightrope to walk for people who've lost a child. And mm-hmm. also, you would hear at church or some something, someone would say, "God really protected my child today." Oh, uh, don't you hate because that? Because they didn't. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. And, and then like they that. say, "God is good." God is good. Uh huh. No, you know, we have to say God is good if He hadn't protected. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I we had something. I went to church. And somebody's wife had been ill and, and then she got better and they prayed. And the whole thing was about, it was a a little thing about tithing, about making sure you tithe. And honestly, the gist of it was because we tithe and we pray, she got better. Oh boy. And oh my word, it ticked me off so badly. I thought, are you telling me if I would give more money to yeah, the church, exactly. then my son wouldn't be dead? Yeah, right. Because, I mean, it's just, it's horrible. Because if that is true, then you would have to say the opposite is true. So it is all well and good that you tithe, but that is not why your wife got better. Exactly. And it is all well and good that you prayed, but it's not because you prayed harder than me mm-hmm. that she got better and Andy didn't. Because I can tell you, I've never prayed harder in my entire life than I did on the side of that road that mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. And it didn't save him. Right. So, and that's why I think people feel betrayed yes. and they feel let down and they lose their faith because God let this happen. And that's what we talked about a little bit before we even started recording is that that's not how I can think of it. And it's not how I want anyone to think of it. Please don't think of it as God let this happen to my child. God made it happen. Either either God was all powerful and this was his plan and he made that woman hit us and Andy die. Or the other end is God really doesn't have control of any of this at all. And this all just happened. And now he's dead. You can't think of it in either of those frames of mind. In my mind, first of all, I know God knew it was going to happen. I know that. I know I have told this story many, many times, but when Andy was seven years old, he drew a picture of the family. And in that family picture, there were four people and not five. And I asked him, 
why there were only four people in the family. And he very matter of factly said, because I'm not going to grow up all the way, I'm going to be in heaven. So I knew that. Mm -hmm. And a little bit of me when he was seven years old, seven years before he died, knew he was going to die that day. I knew because he said that with such confidence that he was going to be in heaven and not grow up. Now, he didn't know that forever. If I would have asked him about that story a week before he died, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have had that recollection. But it was a gift that God gave me and God gave Eric and God gave many of our friends because I told other people about it. And so he knew it was going to happen. But in that moment, when I was weeping, he was too. I know he was there weeping with me. He knew this was going to happen, but it doesn't mean that he wasn't sad with me. And that wasn't mean, didn't mean that it isn't all part of some grander plan, but I don't need to understand the plan. And I don't need to be happy with the plan. Right. No, it is okay for me to think the plan is awful, (laughs) but it, because it's not mine. Mm -hmm. And, And it's okay for me to not understand it. And I never will. And I'm never going to feel great about Andy dying. I'm not. But that's okay. You know? The psalm, reading through the psalms, you see that the psalmists were allowed to complain. They griped a lot. (laughs) They had a lot to gripe about. And so that was a a comfort for me to know, it's okay to say, God, I'm not really happy with what you're doing right now. But then Mm -hmm. I get to Psalm 139.16, and it tells me that Melissa's life was a book that he wrote and he knew how many pages there were in the book. Yep. Her book ended before we thought it should have ended. Mm-hmm. We don't have that call, you know? Yeah. So there's there's something comforting in knowing that God is sovereign and in control. And we can rest in that. We don't have to be happy about it. We can right. complain. And we can say, mm-hmm. God, I, we don't think that's fair, but you're in charge and we're not. And he gives us the comfort. You know, Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three, or something. He gives us comfort, so we can comfort other people. That's what you're doing. You know. Yeah. You're using Andy's, yes. You're using Andy's death to help other people, and that's what we're. Tra- and I don't have to be happy about it, no, and I don't have to say, happy. "Well, good thing Andy died, so I could do this." Yeah. No, I can be very unhappy about it. What is comforting to me, though, is that I know Andy's fine with it. Andy was fine with it when he was seven knowing that he wasn't going to grow up all the way. He, you know, was eager to share his faith with the world. I mean, that's just the kind of kid he was. It's funny, you talked about the recording you have of uh, Melissa giving her testimony. I have a recording that I play at the end of every podcast. It's of Andy singing the last verse of Away in the Manger. And that's about going to heaven. Yeah. (laughs) So I have my son's voice talking about being in heaven. That's amazing. It's beautiful. Beautiful. And it is beautiful, and I can listen to it whenever I want. Mm-hmm. The year before Melissa died, she went to Spain with her Spanish class from school, and she sat and talked to her friend. I think it was Mandy, and she says, um, "I don't." And they'd they'd seen a TV program, a news broadcast. And they must have been able to understand it in Spanish. Some kids died, and she mm-hmm. said to Mandy, "She says I don't understand why people are, which is they so." sad or why christians are worried about dying because yeah. we know we're going to go to heaven when we die yeah less than a year before she died and mm-hmm. what teenager says that 
Yeah. And and that's funny because Andy said something similar. They were in a carpool on their way to choir rehearsal and they were talking about heaven and one of the other boys was really uncomfortable with it. And Andy's like, why are you worried about it? He said, I'm so excited to go to heaven. Heaven's going to be awesome. I mean, we were studying Revelation at the time and he was like on top of the world, so excited to the, at the idea of going to heaven. So I know he wasn't sad. Doesn't change my sadness right. a bit. I am sad. My entire family is sad. We miss him terribly. But I know he's good. Yeah. He was good with it beforehand, and that was you know weeks before he died that he was talking about how excited he was to go to heaven. So that's so no comfort to you. Oh yes. I said that you know having said yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, our kids are amazing. It's yeah, amazing and it's amazing to still be able to talk about them and and share them with other people and share our grief really with each other and what her journeys have been like to help people. One other thing that is really cool that happened uh, in regard to Melissa was because um, she played softball and in the, in the, uh, the field, the school was going to build a new softball field. And as we were talking about the obituary, which I write in my book is, I can't believe I had to write an obituary about my daughter. But yes. we, we thought, what are we going to do about memorial contributions? And I thought, I, I want them to go toward the new field at school, the softball field. So I called the superintendent of school, the school, and I said, Rick, I know this is kind of, you know, and this is like a day after, two days after. I said, you know, I, I'm being a little forward here, but is there any way you would name the field after Melissa? He said... I've got about 12 girls sitting in my office right now asking me the same thing. And the softball team had met on the field to pray. And they went in to his office and said, can you name the field after her? And then you got on the phone at the same Same time. time. And um, so it's Melissa Brandon Memorial Field. I bet it is. As an athlete, you know, former athlete, that's important. Yeah. It means a lot to me. And then later, one other little thing. You can tell that because I'm. I remember. Well, what you Oh, Well, one of the kids who was a, a, um, in our corral, and I travel with our corral because our daughter's the music director. Um, she said, "Mr. Brandon, what uh, what number did Melissa wear?" And I, you know, a softball. And I said, "Eleven." So about two weeks later, the coach called and said, "We're going to retire Melissa's number. So we're going to have a little ceremony, <laughs> and we're going to retire her number at the softball." So just other little touches like that, you know, people, and this is like 15 years later. Yeah. So it's you know, been really, sp- oh, it's, that is beautiful. People care, you know, and again, we, when we say these things, people think, oh, you, you, you're okay now? <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay. Yeah. No, not okay. still not okay. But, not yeah. okay. but, uh, <laughs> but it gives it us, helps. Right. gives us joy just to talk about her. I right. mean, as right. I said earlier, we talk about her a lot as right. if she's here. And do you find that too? People are a little bit afraid to mention Andy and you're going. Oh, for sure. All the time. And then if I tear up, then they're, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. sorry. That they want to just like, oh, I should have never mentioned it. Like, no, it's beautiful. It's just that the emotions are so close to the surface right now, but it's okay. And if I bring it, I like to bring it up. I like to talk about her. I mean, she's my daughter. I mean, she's. Yes. You talk about your other kids. Why should you not talk about Melissa? Right. They don't know how to handle me talking about my dead daughter. I know. I know. I know it makes people so uncomfortable, but it it gives me joy. So I'm going to talk about, right. Feel like I have that right. So, well, and now you brought that up. It brings uh, this 
just this past week, uh, we had a beautiful thing happen to us is that Eric, my husband, said, we're going, we're leaving somewhere. And I was like, I had no idea what this is about. He had something on the calendar. I thought it was just for him. And he goes, no, we're all going. Um, and we're going to Ada. Well, I don't, I don't know why we were going to Ada. And he said, we're going to meet with someone that we know. And I thought, okay, I guess I should do my hair. I really don't know what's happening. So he put us in the car and we drove to Andy's old elementary school. And they had, over now these last two years, it's taken them two years to do it, but they went through the school board and all of these steps, but they put in something on the playground that it's a cement pad. It has four flowers on it that have little metal petals and the petals you can hit with a mallet and each one is a different musical note. So four kids at a time can be playing different music. And then... They had, one of them had asked Peter, my son, to send a picture of Andy's handwriting, of Andy's signature. So Peter took a picture of something that Andy signed his name to when he was in the second grade. And so they mimicked that and wrote Andy in the cement. Oh, that's so cool. That is so <laughs> So it's just beautiful. And it's there forever. And kids will be playing music, On which is flowers. so beautiful to Andy. Right forever and and what was also really neat is that very day I had someone tell me that they had read someone say don't you know that hearing my child's voice is like music to my ears so I had put that on Twitter that day that hearing Andy's voice is like music to my ears and then we went and then you know, to have that musical tribute to him. That is so, so powerful and it's, so I amazing to me. Tell people that who, who are grieving parents, do something or have somebody do something that keeps your child's memory alive. I noticed, I heard that on one of your earlier podcasts, but that's so essential. Whether Whatever it is, some people start foundations. We had, we had a scholarship for Melissa her, for her senior class. We didn't continue it. But, you know, having your name on the softball field, having Andy's, you know, name in, in the cement on the flowers that make music, something yeah. has got to be done on for our kids so they don't, are not forgotten, you know. Yeah. It means a lot yeah. to us. Yeah. It it's does. important for all parents to do that. Whatever it is. Well, I just want to thank you guys both so much for being on I just really enjoyed this and um, good luck with your new 10 year anniversary on the book I didn't even realize that was coming out yeah. so that's nice and thank you again thank you for talking about Melissa and thank you for being willing to try to share your story to help others thanks Marcy yep, thank you we appreciate you asking us <music> Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.